The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Well, it is a great uh, privilege to come back again to the Word of God and be able to preach to you today. And I'd like for you to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 1, once again, on the first Sunday of this month, we opened our Bibles to the Old Testament prophet Haggai to read about the disappointment of the refugees in Judah after they had returned from captivity in Babylon. And at that time, they had reconstructed the temple that was destroyed by the Babylonians and they were saddened and disappointed because the new temple that they had built was built out of their poverty. And it was a poor replica of the original that Solomon, the wealthiest king in their history, had built. And in their discouragement, the word of the Lord came to Haggai. And they were told not to despair because this temple was not their hope. The absence of gold and silver was not problematic because God owns all the silver and gold. And they weren't to despair because the glory that was missing from this house was not an indication that God wasn't with them. No, God is always true to his promises. Jehovah made a covenant with them. He brought them out of Egypt. He established them in Canaan. And this was the fulfillment of the covenant that he made with Abraham when he made them a nation of his people. And then the voice of the Lord made a promise that his glory would come to this earth and would fill a new temple. And the glory of the new temple would supersede all houses of worship that came before. It would be more glorious because Jesus Christ the true glory of God, the highest aspiration and desire of all nations would come and personally inhabit it. In Haggai's prophecy, there is a magnificent view of the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is the preparation for the coming of Christ, not just in his first advent, but as the final king who will rule in a perfect kingdom and will establish new heavens and a new earth in perfect righteousness. Now, the Old Testament has hundreds of prophecies concerning Christ the Messiah and this glorious kingdom that he will establish. And in the previous message from Haggai, I mentioned that all of the Bible from cover to cover is the story of Jesus Christ and all of that is woven together to present us a picture of this magnificent king who will rule and reign over all. I love to talk about Christ. In our ministry here, we've always tried to make him our focus. Every doctrine in the word of God helps us to develop a better understanding of Christ. And that is the reason that we concentrate on teaching and understanding doctrine. I know there are many who see no value in doctrinal discussions, but they matter because in the doctrines of God's word, we find Jesus Christ. In these doctrines of our faith, we find the person of our faith. Now, as a companion message to the one I preached from Haggai, I want to speak to you today from Hebrews chapter 1 
As the word of the Lord came to Haggai to impress upon Israel the glory of the Messiah that was to come, so the book of Hebrews was written to New Testament Christian Israel, that is to Hebrews, to impress them the truth of this glorious Messiah who has been revealed and fulfilled in the promises of the Old Covenant. Therefore, he is better than the Old Covenant, better than the, the, what they had learned before about the Christ that was coming because the present reality is always better than the hope of the promise. Now, the challenge for these Hebrew Christians was to understand the reason they should give up living under the Old Covenant and then to build their faith on the New Covenant that's made by Christ through His death, burial, and resurrection. Now, changing from the Old Covenant meant that they would have to give up the temple, they would need to give up that old priesthood and the sacrifices and the rituals that had so long been established. And the theme of Hebrews is that Christ is better than all those. He is better than all Old Testament rites and rituals. He is the antitype of those types. Now, if you'll look at Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1, God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us, by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Many of you are familiar with H.G. Wells. H.G. Wells was a science fiction author who died in 1946. Many of you are probably familiar with him because two of his famous novels, most famous novels, were made into movies. That was The War of the Worlds and The Time Machine. Wells, though, was also an historian, although a quite controversial one. And he made a list of the ten greatest men in history. These were men that he thought were the most influential and most important of all time. And on his list, as you might well imagine, he put Jesus Christ at the top. Now, most of us would, would think, well, yes, that, that is exactly where Jesus belongs. He belongs first on anybody's list of the most important men. The question that we would ask is, does Jesus belong on a list of the most important men? And does it exalt him to put him first on that list? Well, if we want good insight into the answer to this question, we should go to Jesus' response to it in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew 16, Jesus asked this question in another way. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, this is Matthew 16, 13, when he came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And the answer that came back seemed to be a remarkably high estimation of him. He was near the top of everyone's list. The disciples replied, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, in the Jews' estimation, this was the same as saying, Jesus, you 
have made the list. And you are up there with the most hallowed, most revered, most respected of all people. You see, the prophets that they mentioned were spokesmen for God. The prophets were God's mouthpiece, and you couldn't get higher than to have God speak to you, through you. The prophets were daily read in the synagogues. The prophets were revered. It was their words that fathers in Israel read to their children. And for Jesus to be put up there with these Old Testament prophets, that was high praise indeed. But clearly Jesus expected a better answer from his disciples. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Indicating that the answer they gave was not correct. And Simon Peter, in verse number 16, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you see here that Peter's answer lifted him off the list of the most influential men. Being at the top of that list didn't make him stand out because that list is just a comparison of men. And Jesus is not on the same level as mere mortal men. He's not a creature of this universe. He's not God made. He is outside of us. He is outside of the creation. He is the God that made the world and upholds this world, this entire universe, by his power. Now, there is nobody like Jesus because he is divine. He's not the founder of a religion. He's the founder of a special relationship. Islam exists without Muhammad, and Buddhism exists without Buddha, Confucianism exists without Confucius. All the principles that they believed and taught can be, are, they are, they could be, they are put into practice without those leaders. But Christianity cannot exist without Christ. Christianity is not a list of things that you do or you don't do. It's not rules that you go by. It's not a system of rituals. Christianity is Christ. It's a living, eternal entity. It's not a code or a creed. It's not a cause. It's not even a church. Christianity is Christ. And He is unequal. Now today our leaders want to be politically correct. They postulate the idea that all faiths are equal. If there is to be a public religious display, then no faith can stand out above another. If there is a Christmas crash, then there must also be a Jewish menorah. And now I hear that they say the blast for prayers at Ramadan must also be heard. All faiths must be represented, lest there be some that object. Well, the government may want to be politically correct, and perhaps in a democracy there's a semblance of that necessity, but preachers in America had better stand in their pulpits and declare the truth that all faiths are not equal, all faiths cannot guarantee eternal life. There is an unequaled faith in an unequaled God, and He is the only way that any person will have eternal life. And this is what Jesus said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, there's no one who gets to the Father but by me. And when he said that, there are three choices for you to decide between in that statement. One is that when he said it, he was crazy. Or two, when he said that, he was a liar. Or three, he is exactly who he claimed to be. Now, whenever a liberal preacher stands in his pulpit and says, oh, all 
great religions are a pathway to God, then he takes one of those first two choices. That Jesus was crazy when he said it, or Jesus was a liar when he said it, and therefore Jesus could never be on the list of anyone's, anyone's list of the greatest men, and certainly he can't be God. But there is nobody like Christ. God has spoken to us through his Son, and he is unequaled, unmatched, unparalleled. He is the unique, one-of-the-kind desire of all nations. Well, let's talk about the ways that Jesus is above all others. He is far better than all others. Now, first in this text, we see unequaled revelation. A text says in verses 1 and 2, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Now, God's method in the past, in the Old Testament times, his method was to speak through the prophets. He spoke through Haggai. And that's where we learn this title that he holds, the desire of all nations. Now, there were great men in the Old Testament that God revealed certain things about himself. He appeared to Moses and said, I am. When Moses said, who shall I say sent me? When I go to the people and they ask me, who is it? Who is that God that sent you? God said, Moses, you tell them I am that I am has sent you. So there we see that God revealed his name to Moses. And Moses was able to give that information to Israel. God gave his law to Moses. And he said, give this to my people. When the people wanted a king, God sent Samuel, a prophet, and he anointed Saul to rule over his people. God spoke through Elijah and Elisha. He spoke through Jeremiah and Daniel. He spoke through Ezekiel and Jonah and Micah and Hosea. And in each of God's announcement to the prophets, there was a revelation. And yet there was always something that was held back. In the New Testament, Paul said the gospel is a mystery kept secret since the world began. And what he meant was the full revelation of the gospel. But that changed because God stopped speaking through the prophets. God stopped divine revelation through prophets because he gave the ultimate revelation through someone better. God gave an equaled revelation of himself and that revelation was Jesus. In these last days, God has spoken to us through his son. Is that better? Well, listen to the Apostle John. In John chapter 1, verse 16, And of his fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Jesus is unequaled, in his revelation, because he is the Father revealed. He is God revealed. He is the fulfillment of the law and his truth revealed. Now Moses couldn't do that. Samuel couldn't do it. Not Jeremiah, not Daniel, not Elijah. There was no prophet that could reveal God in the way that Jesus did. Now John the Baptist made this clear. 
He said, no way, not me, I'm not, I'm not him, I, I'm not even worthy to tie and untie his shoes. I remember that Jesus said, there is not a prophet that's been born among women who is greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, this greatest that was born among women, said, I am not worthy to even bow before him. Now, despite what the people thought, John the Baptist said, I am not on the same list as him. Now, listen, here's the truth. After Jesus, there is no more for God to say about himself. Jesus is the full disclosure of God. And so when you say Jesus, you've said it all. He is unequaled revelation. There is nobody like Jesus. He is not number one on the list. He is the list. Unequaled revelation. Now next we see that there are unequaled rights. Jesus has unequaled rights. God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Jesus is the heir of all things, and thus he has the right to all of them. Well, who is an heir? Well, an heir is someone that inherits. You know, I've always kind of wished that I had a rich old uncle or some relative that I don't know about who has lots of money. Someday that person will die and then I'll get a phone call or I'll get a knock on the door and I'm told that I've just inherited millions of dollars. I'm still waiting on that. I still hope there is someone out there, but it hasn't happened yet. Well, Jesus is not waiting on millions of dollars. He is the heir to everything. How can you be the heir to everything? I mean, what, what is that like? I can imagine being uh, the heir to a huge estate with thousands of acres. I, I can imagine being the heir of Jeff Bezos and receiving billions of dollars. But who can fathom being the heir to everything? That doesn't register, does it? Well, friends, Jesus holds the title deed to the entire universe. Everything was made for him. And that's kind of interesting, isn't it? You would think that at least some things were made for somebody else. Maybe there are some things that are made for me. But the mind-boggling truth is that everything was made for him. Now, some of what was made for him is leased out to others for a time. The Bible calls Satan the god of this world. He controls a little domain, but only for a time. I mean, what is this earth compared to the universe? You read the back of the book and there you find that all things will be returned to Christ because he owns it all. Did you know the Bible never calls us the owner of anything? We are called his stewards. We are stewards of what Jesus owns and everything that we have is on loan from God. So I wonder how can Christians be stingy with their possessions? How do they cut God out of the tithe when God already owns it? Now, he lets us use some of it, but all of it's his. And you can be sure of this, that God who loans it all can call in that loan at any time. Now, if we think about Moses again, do you remember what Hebrews a little bit later says about him? This is back here in the 11th chapter. And when it talks about Moses' faith, it says, Moses chose 
to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You see, Moses was the heir to something. He was raised in Pharaoh's household, raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He could have been a ruler in Egypt, but he turned his back on that because somebody had far more to offer than Pharaoh. Pharaoh had a kingdom, but God has a universe. So Moses said, I'll choose with God. I will go with God because God is the one who owns it all. And really, do you know when Moses chose God, he chose Jesus Christ? That one who spoke to him in the burning bush was Jesus. When he said, I am, that was Jesus. He is Jehovah God. Now we think of that. I am. That is all encompassing. I am. That is everything physically, materially, spiritually, eternally. I am. That is the eternal present. It encompasses the past, the present, and the future. And folks, that is everything. So what a choice you've made when you go to Jesus because you become an heir of everything he has. And everything he has is everything. He is unequaled because of his rights. Now thirdly, is unequaled realm. God has spoken to us through his son whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the world's. He is unequal because of what he made. He created it all. Can you imagine what it must have been like for someone like the Apostle John to recognize this? Do you remember how John called himself the disciple that Jesus loved? He had a special connection to Jesus that placed him in the inner circle of disciples. And this made him one of the ones who knew Jesus best. One who was one of those that was closest to him. And can you imagine that realization as he writes in John 1, 3? John writes, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John was consort with the God who made all things. John said, everything you see has, has a stamp on it that says, made by Jesus. You turn over an ant. You might need a magnifying glass to see it, but you turn it over and on its belly is written, made by Jesus. Turn over Mount St. Helena, if you could, and underneath it would say, made by Jesus. You go out at night and you look at the stars. You only see a small speck of the universe, but out there, there are over a hundred thousand million galaxies containing as much as a hundred million stars. Each galaxy is six trillion miles across, is separated by other galaxies by three million light years. In Daniel's prophecy, King Nebuchadnezzar walked around his palace on his grounds and looked at all the stuff that he owned. The scripture says, at the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the king of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? King Nebuchadnezzar looked at what he had and said, Wow, what a kingdom I have. And he was the king of the world that he knew. But God took him down. And Nebuchadnezzar realized that he was no match for God. 
He says in Daniel chapter 4, And at the end of the days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes into heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say, What doest thou? The realm of Jesus is unequaled. There is no world power that has reached the breadth of Christ's dominion. His realm is from one side of the universe to the other and beyond. Now imagine John saying... I know this Jesus who made everything. I am loved by the one who made it all. Friends, he's unequaled. And I know him and he loves me. So is there any need for me to worry about what's going on in the world today? Is there any need for me to worry about this virus? Jesus owns the world and he cares for me. Now that leads to our next thought. This is the fourth thing that we find in this passage, and that is unequaled rule. Now, Paul said in Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And of course, Paul is in agreement with what's said about Jesus in Hebrews, how he is better than all. Now, it's hard for us to, to get a grasp on what this would mean to, to live under a supreme ruler. Now, Christ is unequaled in his rule. It's hard for us to imagine living under a supreme ruler who rules everything. Homegrown Americans, we, we've never lived under a dictatorship. We've never lived under communism. We've always had our rights and our privileges. We decide our own government. And so it's very hard for us to imagine living under authoritarian rule. I know some of you think that this social distancing lockdown is authoritarian rule. And so we resist that. And even uh, if we get a slight inkling that government would step on our rights, we're up for that challenge and we say, don't tread on me. We resist it. We resist that kind of rule. Now, as Americans, then, we're pretty much free to do as we please. Uh, even if you defy this ban, it's not likely you're going to be shot. You won't be thrown into jail. And even those who have been put into jail stay there only a short amount of time because the government can't stand all the protest. But one of these days, this world will be under totalitarian rule. You understand what totalitarianism is? How oh, it means that the state exercises complete control over every individual. Now, you may be thinking, oh yes, I, I, I understand that. What you're talking about is the Antichrist. Because when he comes, he's going to rule the world. No, I am not speaking of the Antichrist. I'm speaking of the real Christ. And when Haggai spoke his prophecy in chapter 2, he was looking at totalitarianism because that's the kind of kingdom that Christ will establish during the millennium. Does that scare you to think that he would have that sort of rule? Would you one day stand on the temple steps in Jerusalem with your sign that protests Christ's rule? 
Uh, the scripture says that he will rule with the rod of iron. He'll wrap your head with a steel pipe. He's not going to put up with your foolishness. Well, the word of God will be the statutory law, and Jesus will enforce his law to the letter. Well, that's fine for believers because that is exactly what we want. This is what we long for. We want to be ruled completely by Christ. We want his perfect law on this earth. And we'll have no trouble keeping that law because we have been given the righteousness of Christ. Now, in the millennium, you and I that are believers, we will rule with him. And we will rule in perfect righteousness. But that is not so for unbelievers. Christ's rule is best because it's righteous. That's no picnic for an unbeliever. The world will be a much better place because evil is restrained. But do you think the millennial kingdom will be fun for sinners? I don't think so. And the testimony to this fact is that after a thousand years of perfect rule, perfect government, Satan will be turned loose and then with lightning speed people join him and attempt a revolution. They hate Christ and they want to overthrow his rule. They don't like it. And proof of their wickedness, proof that wickedness dwells in the human heart is what they do when they have opportunity and try to overthrow Christ. Now here's the thing. You can't change what people are by changing government. You can't change it by reformation. You can't change it by enforcing obedience to laws. Christ must change the heart. The Holy Spirit must regenerate. People must be born again. Or they will forever despise the rule of Christ. But an unequaled time of rule is coming. An unequaled rule is coming. The world hasn't seen it before. They won't like it. But praise God, we believe and Jesus rules in our hearts now. He rules by faith. And we're just waiting for that to be extended. So we say, even so, come Lord Jesus, come and rule on this earth as you rule in our hearts. And did you know that Jesus said we ought to pray for that? He said, pray for that. Pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And how do you think that God rules in heaven? There are no rules but his rules. He is unequaled in his rule. Now, fifthly is unequaled radiance. Look at verse number three, just the first phrase. Who being the brightness of his glory. Brightness. That word means radiance. The scriptures don't say that Jesus is the reflection of the glory of God, like the moon is the reflection of the sun. He doesn't reflect the glory of God. He is the glory of God. The disciples caught a glimpse of this on the Mount of Transfiguration. The glory that Jesus had on the inside began to peek out on the outside. And the disciples couldn't see that full radiance because they never would have been able to live in his presence if they did. Like Moses on Mount Sinai, Moses had to turn his face away from God. He couldn't look into the face of God. Well, God told Moses that he would hide him in the cleft of the rock because he could never see his glory and live. Now, when Moses came down from the mountain, he was shining. His face shone brightly because he had been in the presence of the glory of God. That same radiance, the same glory shined on Saul of Tarsus as he was on the road to Damascus. There was a bright light that blinded him and that was the glory 
of Jesus. And that glory changed him and redirected his life to be Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. The glory of Christ is the same glory that is the light of the new Jerusalem. The Bible says there's no need of the sun or the moon there because the Lamb of God is the light of the city. And do you remember as we looked at Haggai, we talked about how Jesus is the temple in Jerusalem. He is the temple and what temple could be more magnificent in glory than him? One of the characteristics of light is purity. You ever heard of dirty light? Well, we don't hear of dirty light. Light can brighten up dirty places, but light is not contaminated when it shines into a dirty place. You ever been in a room with light that shines through a window and you can see particles of dust in the air? You see that dust, but the dust doesn't get on the light. And that's how it is with Jesus. He came as light to a dirty, sinful world. He lived with sinners. He ate with them. He walked with them. He lived and died among them. But there was nothing that polluted his light. He is pure. He is light that dispels the darkness of sin. There is no light, no radiance like Jesus. He is unequaled in his radiance. Now, sixthly, is unequaled representation, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. The express image of his person. That means he is exactly what God is. He is equal with God. He is the same as God. He has the same nature as God. He has the same attributes as God. He is the essence of God. Things that are exactly equal are the same. This word image is the same word from which we get icon. An icon is a representation. So that when Jesus came in the flesh, he was the representation of God. Now, we, we tend to think in terms of physical appearance. But as we know, God is spirit. And yet Jesus told the disciples, He that hath seen me has seen the Father. He is the visible image of the invisible God. And so if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God thinks, listen to Jesus. If you want to know how God reacts and how he relates to people, watch Jesus. Now, did you ever, do you ever think about this? Have you read any place where Jesus said, I'm sorry? Have you read anywhere where Jesus said, pardon me? I didn't really mean that. You know, sometimes when I'm preaching, I say things that I wish I didn't say. Some things I don't realize that I've said until I hear it on the recording. So when I say I need to hear the message to know what I said, many times that's true. Last week in the sermon, there was one word that changed the meaning of a sentence. And I found out later about it, and it bothered me. More than once, Jason has edited these recordings to take out something that didn't come out right. Sometimes I would like to take something back. And I've stuck my foot in my mouth many times. But Jesus never did. And you know why? Because he is the exact representation of God. God never does anything wrong. There's never anything to apologize for. And if, and if you think more about it, how could he say, I'm sorry? I mean, can God offend me? Who am I? Who would he apologize to? Friends, there is 
nobody like Jesus. He is so uncommon. He is so unlike the other top nine on the list that he has no place on the list. He is unequaled because he is the representation, the exact image of Almighty God. Now let's, let's look at one more, and this is where the message funnels down to you and me. This is a great reason that it's so important that Jesus has no equaled. So number seven is unequaled redemption. Now observe the last line of verse number three. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. When he had by himself purged our sins. What a statement that is. In this message, we've, we've been all over the universe with the cosmic Christ. And now, boom, just suddenly, we find him on a cross. The only way that Jesus could purge our sins, the only way that he could purify us and redeem us, was to die on the cross. And on the cross, he became the once for all final sacrifice for sin. Now, isn't it interesting that after he did this, the Bible says he sat down. He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. A priest in the tabernacle in the temple never sat down. There wasn't a place to sit. They were always busy, always busy with what they did. They had to do what they did day after day after day. They had to constantly repeat the sacrifices. But that changed with Jesus. It changed because he's not the same priest as those high priests. He's not from the Aaronic order. He's better than the Levitical priests because they lived as men. They died as men. They were in the lifespan of men. They were on the list of men. But Jesus isn't. Now let's go a little bit further into Hebrews, into chapter 7. Hebrews is a book that shows us that Jesus is unequal, that he's better than priests that came after Aaron. And so look in verse 24, Hebrews chapter 7. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests, to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. Jesus is unequaled to the old priesthood. Being the perfect God-man, he didn't need to offer sacrifices for his sins. He doesn't need to offer daily sacrifices for our sins. He did it once when he offered himself. His sacrifice was better than all the old covenant sacrifices. Now pity the Roman Catholic who has a priest sacrifice Christ in every mass. Not this Christ. He is different. Now if we turn over to chapter 10 in Hebrews, in verse number 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. This man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. This is unequaled redemption. Nothing that Christ did in redemption depends on us. Everything that we do as redeemed depends on him. If it was possible for you to redeem yourself throughout, throughout all eternity, you would, you would need to be holy and righteous and perfect every single minute, and you would have to do it in your own strength. You can't do that because you're a sinner. But even if you could, just one misstep, one slight indiscretion, one miscalculation, one mistake, and you would be cast out of heaven and thrown into the fires of hell. The redemption of Christ is unequaled because it does for you what no one else can ever do. And so he finished this work and he sat down. It was through. And so he sat down because there wasn't anything left for him to do. He doesn't need do-overs. And then look where it says that he sat. He sat on the right hand of the majesty on high. The right hand. That is the highest place of honor and exaltation. The right hand, that is the place of glory. The right hand is not a place where the best man on the list sits. He sits at the right hand because what he did is perfect in every way. He is above principalities and powers. He's higher than all things above the earth and under the earth. He is above all things present and all things to come. Nothing can match his perfect work. He is unequaled in redemption. And so it should be clear to us why Christ is the desire of all nations. It should be clear why we choose to focus on him. It should be clear why he's everything to us. It should be clear why we sing about Jesus, why we pray in his name, why we preach his glorious gospel. There is nobody like him. We find Christ in the doctrines of his word. And so it's very clear why we are doctrinal. The doctrines tell us that Christ is unequaled in every way. He is unique, unparalleled, unequaled because he is the Savior. Now the writer of Hebrews makes this so clear. Jesus Christ is unequaled in revelation, unequaled in his rights, unequaled in his realm, unequaled in his rule, unequaled in his radiance, unequaled in his redemption. Very simply, there is nobody like Jesus. And if you've trusted him as your savior, then praise God. He is everything to you. And because he gave his life to purchase your redemption, you are everything to him. What was it like for John to say, I am the disciple that Jesus loved. I am the disciple who knows the unequaled God-man. What is that like? Ask yourself that question. Because if you're in him, that disciple is you. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you now thinking about our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is unequaled. He does not deserve or cannot be placed on uh, any man's list of greatest men. He is so much more, so far 
above that, so far above everything that all we can say is he is unequaled. Nothing approaches him. We choose to believe him. We receive him as our savior because there is no one who can do what Jesus Christ did. In our church, we focus on Jesus Christ. We want to talk about him in every sermon. Everything that we preach comes back to Jesus Christ and the magnificent glory that that he possesses. Lord, help us to serve Jesus Christ every day in better ways. And may we always look forward to his coming. We pray, Lord, that you would bless the message that's gone out today. Uh, If there is someone who hears and hasn't yet received Jesus Christ as Savior, we pray, Lord, that you would open their hearts to the magnificence of Jesus Christ That there is nothing better in all the world that can be chosen. Nothing better in the universe in existence that can be chosen than Jesus Christ. Speak to hearts today. Bless our people in this um, time that we can't be gathered together. And uh, we're anxious to be back where we can see one another. Just be with us all, Lord. And help us to keep our focus on Christ. Take some of that focus that we've put on news reports and things that we hear and the worries and fears that we have. Place it all on Jesus Christ. Focus on Him. And I know, Lord, we'll be so much better, so much more pleasing if we will just do it. Bless us, Lord. Help us. And we thank you again for your word. Jesus Christ is unequaled. In His name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Brian Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Roner Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.